Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, man, I am so stoked. I get to talk to a good friend of mine, somebody I've known like five years. I got to meet her at an AATH conference in Chicago. It was our 25th anniversary. We were down there. She's like, hey, I'm Lisa Olson. And I was like, hey, I'm Chip Lutz. And I was like, man, I dig her energy. And so we have been like virtual Facebook friends. Well, we'll be real friends, but then I see her virtually on Facebook. I don't know how really that works because I have some people that I don't really know on Facebook that I'm friends with, but I, so I've never really met, but I've actually met Lisa, but I, I, I'm going down a rabbit hole. So, hey, welcome, Lisa David Olson to the podcast. Happy to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm pretty excited to actually coordinate our times and sit and chat for once. It's been a long time. I love yeah. it. I am super excited too because you are um, super funny and I like I was saying before, I always have really liked your energy. I kind of like your spin on things. So I'm really glad that uh, you took the time out to spend a lot of time with me. We'll talk about your new book, Laughs on Rye, which uh, I've had the opportunity to read and review, which I felt very honored to do. But for our listeners, if you give them like the 411 on who this mysterious woman, this mysterious woman from the other side of Wisconsin, because I'm on one side of Wisconsin. Really? <laughs> I am so mysterious. Uh, just find me on Facebook. I'll tell you anything you want to know. I have the book out, Laughs on Rye, and it's spelled W-R-Y. And let's see. Yes, you did review it, and I really appreciate having your name on my back cover. So I would like people to check that out, too. You're not, the first, you're not the first woman to have said that. So... Um, <laughs> And I won't be the last, am I right? Oh, I think that you probably will be. But um, in case my wife is listening to this, you will be the last one to ever say that. Um, Hi, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah, give us the 411 on, um, you know, what's your, what's, your, what's your shtick is, what's your gig? My life. All right, so it is that my book is about growing up in a home that had an alcoholic and abusive mother. And people say, but I thought your book was funny. And it is. It's a memoir. And it's, that's a word I have trouble saying. Let's say it together. Memoir. That is just not the way my mouth works. I'm not French. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it goes into my childhood and how I became funny really was a mode of survival, surviving this really tragic childhood. There was ups and a lot of severe downs. And I write slightly about that but I write a lot about just being a goofball. I'm a prankster. I do improvisation. I run an award-winning comedy troupe, which I'm very proud of. We do sketch and improv. And we perform giant show in September. We do three weekends, nine shows. We do a mini improv show in April. And then we'll do parties all throughout the year. I'm very proud of that troupe. And that is my family. And I talk about that in the book, that you can choose your family. You mm -hmm. don't have to go, oh, well, I have to go there because, well, it's my brother. Oh, do you really? Or is that a choice? <laughs> That's right on the cover of my book, A Life Made of Choices Instead of Excuses. Right. Um, that's really funny because when you say it's a you know, you, you, family you choose, I started thinking about, well, my kids, I didn't really choose them. I just have them. And um, I, I love them. I don't like them all the time, but I, I love them all the time. But there's sometimes I, when they were growing up, I just wanted them to be someplace else. Well, and it's nice to, you know, one of my sons always tells me that I'm the, his favorite mom he's ever had. And I find that very meaningful. 
that is so meaningful. Like my, my dad would always say to my wife, oh, it's my, it's my favorite daughter-in-law from Wisconsin. And oh. so, you know, <laughs> he had, well, he had five sons, so it was, you, right. know, you know, he had, uh, he couldn't really play favorites. But, Did that mean um, he didn't remember her name though? <laughs> I think that was truthfully it, that he really just didn't know her, know her name. He just knew hey, her name. Hey, you with the well, face. And in his defense, you know, between, you know, his sons, he had a lot of daughters-in-law. I mean, between three of my brothers, I've had nine sisters-in-law. So, I mean, it's, wow. you know, sometimes it can, it can be hard to keep track of stuff. You know, my grandpa mm-hmm. used to just keep everybody's, you know, spouses written in pencil, you know, because he had mm-hmm. a, like a little chart with their names and marriage dates and he would just erase them, write the new stuff, write the new <laughs> stuff. And, a and, whiteboard uh, is handy at those times. It really is. I mean, we have spreadsheets now. He was old school. He was an old school <laughs> guy, you know. But um, um, this is this is before the the invents of the internet. Thank you, Al Gore. Um, but um, yeah, yes. Anyway, so yeah. let's let's. Uh, I, I want to talk start. You know, talk about you know growing up. You know, adverse. You know, kind of like the. I don't want to say the birth of funny for you, but just to get our conversational juices flowing, I'm just going to ask you a random question just to get things moving. So if they were making a movie of Lisa David Olson's life, all right, and you got to pick the person that played you, all right, the actress mm-hmm. that played you in the movie, who would you pick? Mm. And this has to be somebody you know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody that our listener, like our regular, an actress, yeah, is an actress that most people would know. It can't be like, you know, like Sally, oh. that, Sally lives next door. I want Sally lives next door to me, play me. She is, she's so much like me. No, it has to be a regular actress. Well, this person isn't known for being hilarious, but I, I would believe that she would take enough direction from me about me to play me. And I, I would choose Lady Gaga. All right. Interesting. So a star is born on rye. <laughs> I'd order that lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I really respect her. I think she is wackadoodle. She is fun and she is brave and she lives outward. I just, I respect her art and her messages. So that's, that's who came to me today. Ask me tomorrow to be somebody else. All right. So that makes sense. All right. Yeah, and that's a good explanation too. So like if then in that movie, in this interview, I, you know, I would be Bradley Cooper asking you the questions. All no. right. So there we go. There we go. I am right now. Actually, no, he's much better looking than I'll ever be. So let's, um, let, let's uh, get into uh, the whole, you know, the, I don't want to, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little about the book, but I really want to talk about you and okay. kind of like, you know, the whole, um, I don't know, the process of, you know, how, you know, growing up in adverse conditions, you know, you know, uh, kind of made you funnier. And cause I, I'm a friend believer, like in my family, same kind of deal. My dad was really funny. It wasn't, you know, I had a, a wasn't a, a, a bad environment. It's just that it was a big family. So you'd had to be pretty much funny to survive. And, um, yeah. And, uh, whoever had the quickest wit, um, pretty much, got the leftovers. That's why I grew up a fat kids. Cause I always got the leftovers. So, <laughs> Are you the youngest in your family? I am the youngest of six. Yes, I am. Wow. And is it all boys? Did you say five boys, one girl? Yep. And so, what number did the girl fall into here? Number three. Oh man. She never got to bring a boy home. Um, 
No, she did. Yeah, she actually married one of my brother's uh, best friends. So it's just kind of weird. I, it's weird. It was, awesome. it was, it was kind of like nepotism or incest. <laughs> I don't know which one of the two. So let's talk about you. No, so are you originally? You're originally from Wisconsin. Did you grow up? You know here. Yes, I grew up in Onalaska, Wisconsin. Are you familiar with that little tiny town? <laughs> I am not. Okay. No. Well, it, it is next to La Crosse. I'm sure you know of La Crosse then. Mm-hmm. World's largest six-pack fame. Uh, more bars per capita than I don't know what you compare it to. So I grew up there until I was around six years old. My dad worked with train company, T-R-A-N-E company. And, you know, they make centrifugal chillers and things, but he's a computer programmer. And that moved us to Clarksville, Tennessee. So from age six to 12, I was a Southern gal. And then we moved back to the Midwest. So that. That's kind of the childhood part. Um, I have an older brother, older sister, and a younger brother. So we all did that move, but mainly I'm a Midwest girl, and I now actually live in Minnesota. Yeah, because there's no really, there's no Southern twang in your voice at all. So I would never guess that you've ever lived in Tennessee. Or I should if, say, actually, it's, it's pronounced Tennessee by God's sea. I would <laughs> never guess that you'd ever live there. If I had... Uh, an adult beverage and was around other Southerners, I would pick it right back up. <laughs> I, I would drop my, my twang on board in a heartbeat. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so um, let's talk about, you know, when you know, your whole, like, you know, I don't want to say childhood, but like your school experience, like when you were growing up, um, you know, was, you know, funny, the thing that kind of helped you survive in school Absolutely. And, and there is nothing you cannot ask me. I'm, I'm not going to mush out on you or anything. I can answer anything. Uh, yeah, I. All right. If a chicken and a half, I'll ask you this. If a chicken and a half laid an egg and a half and a day and a half, how many three cent stamps are in a dozen? If a woodchuck could chuck what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, never mind. I, 12, how much always... ground can a groundhog grind if a groundhog could grind ground? <laughs> I, that's a good question. All right. So let's talk about your childhood. <laughs> We are very focused. Um, very, very, very. Us and our pet squirrels. Yeah, so it was, school was different because Midwest is pretty tight, pretty, pretty set with what they're doing when you move to Tennessee, at least for me and back then. Mm-hmm. It was a really hard time because the, it did not align. The, the pace of the Midwest is one rate and then you kind of slip into molasses style and they were way behind. And so that was a, it turned out to be a pretty crucial time of my learning that I really flubbed. It was bad. Um, they were really concentrated in the metric system. And I reference in my book, the counting of split peas. And I, I don't think I reference it well enough to explain. It was a kit to teach us metrics. And, and there was something about these dried lentils or peas that are in my brain. And that was just part of what we we're working on that really set with me. I don't know why. And I say, you know, metrics, you get a 5k race, you buy a two liter bottle of soda. And after that, we're not really playing. No, we're not. Absolutely not. not a big deal. So I, I was really set far behind such as uh, geography and learning music and all that. So when I moved back to the Midwest, I never felt like I fit. I never, I wasn't brave enough to just say, I really need help. And my parents weren't involved enough to notice it. Mm. So I got by, but I've never, ever felt smart, never felt book smart, just been street smart, survival smart. 
So did you find like uh, humor being the thing that uh, kind of like uh, took the edge off, you know, in, in the classroom, you know, with, uh, with your classmates or, you know, with your teachers that, I don't know, that's what I thought. Like I was a horrible student. I mean, I graduated in the bottom 25% of my high school class. Um, and out of 600 kids, I got voted class clown. Actually, that's how I ended up in the Navy because my dad pretty much said, well, <laughs> you really applied yourself. Um, so, um, but that was the thing that, I mean, helped me kind of, you know, I don't know, get through, you know, being a short fat kid in high school, you know, that <laughs> helped me through. And I, I assume that it had to have been the same for you. So you were funny in school. Um, I thought I was, um, <laughs> but, you were, but you were outward. You were, you were not, you, you were fun. You were out there anyway. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, a little more out there in that. Um, but it was more of, I don't want to say it was that thing that, um, I don't want to say that humor helped create like a mask that, um, like hid some of the stuff mm -hmm. that uh, was going on inter you know, internally and, you know, insecurities and stuff. But I think that's the case for a lot of people that, you know, it, it creates this, um, I don't want to say, uh, kind of like a force field between you and other people where they like you, but they really don't know you. Correct. I, I think it's, it's, for me, it's fight, flight, or funny. It really is. And, and that's true for today. At least I can acknowledge it and recognize it. But it's, I was not funny in school. I was, I kind of blended in with different groups. I, for a while, was hanging with the hoods, even though I wasn't a major, I don't know, do they call them hoods anymore? Goth. <laughs> I was I hanging with the partiers, but I wasn't necessarily heavy partying. And then I would be hanging with the cheerleaders, though I never picked up a pom-pom. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I would shift where I would hang, but I was not the outgoing person in class at all. I, I really wanted to disappear. You referenced being the fat kid. I had crooked teeth and body image issues and that kind of thing. So, And then never getting to sleep a full night because with the raging alcoholic I lived with who would wake me up in the night and all of a sudden he'd be standing in the living room until somebody admitted who did it, who did this, whatever uh -huh. this was, till one of us would just say, okay, I did it, take the, the belt, and then we could all go to bed. So, my, you know, I wasn't outwardly funny at all, but I would use humor with my friends when I didn't understand something or just to get through a tough moment. It's, if you get people laughing, it takes the tension off of you and they're not going to dig further to find out more. You just keep them laughing. Right. And like you said, you, you have that fake bubble, you know, the, the salad bar shield comes up. And they can't get <laughs> no pickles. That is a great analogy. The salad bar shield. That's it right there. That's right. You, you ever you whack can, your forehead you can, on one? <laughs> you, can, you can sneeze, but I'm not going to feel it. I am That's not right. going to feel it. That's uh, right. <laughs> that is a great analogy. So what did... When did, I guess, I, I don't want to say, when did funny kind of blossom for you? Because you said that you used it with your friends, you know, here and there, but did it come a little bit later on where you became, because I see you completely different. I mean, you know, on Facebook and, uh, you know, obviously with your comedy troupe that you are now completely outwardly, you know, to me, outwardly funny that, I mean, I mean, I think that you're hilarious. So when did that, when did you come of humor age? I think as a young adult, see, I, I left school in 10th grade. I never did officially graduate. I did go on to get my GED. And then I did a lot of different college things, but never got a full fledged degree mm -hmm. in anything. Cause I guess I'm a, I describe myself as a, a 
a hummingbird because I'm visiting different things, but eh, then I'm on my way. So <laughs> uh, I just became funny, I think, more as an adult when I was out of the home. So I was mm. in an apartment by the time I was 17 and didn't even have a driver's license yet. So, um, and we didn't even have a hand computers back then. So yeah, it was a, it was a different time. And I became funny as I went, I think, mm -hmm. but definitely after I left the house. I mean, I'm sure I was funny at home and I know, so one of the main things is I was funny at home because if mom was laughing, she wasn't yelling or hitting us. Uh -huh. That's something you learn as a survivalist that, you know, let's entertain, ta -ta -ta, I'm tap dancing. And by the way, I'm moving away from you. <laughs> but seriously, you just... It, it is that way. I don't remember ever being that way in school. I think I was just trying to get through the day. Right. And, and say for me, I mean, I, I guess, but for me in school, it was just trying to get through the day by using humor. And, um, you know, so it was a little more outwardly, but that, I guess that was just the dynamic from which I grew up in. So, you know, going back to our first part of our conversation on, you know, you, you, the book, I mean, what spurred you to, you know, put it all together? Because in going through, I mean, your stories in here, I mean, are, I think they're super insightful, super funny. And it just, I, I, <laughs> they really resonated with me. I mean, some of the, the, uh, like you said, the looking back, I mean, sometimes you know, on your life, sometimes humor is easier to find than when you're going through it. Um, and you know, looking back for you, when I'm reading this, I, I can see where you're seeing like all the humor in that situation. So maybe it wasn't there when you were going through it, but I mean, now it's like, obviously painfully obvious. It's like, Oh, this is hilarious. You know, what spurred you to put it all together? Well, one of the things you mentioned, my, um, Facebook page being funny. One thing you won't find on my Facebook page is woe is me. You won't. <laughs> You won't find me vague booking. I just don't know anymore. <laughs> that is not me. If, if, I'm, if I need that, that is not my forum for that. So mm -hmm. I do try and uh, I keep everything positive as I can, and I have my breakdowns in private. So <laughs> writing <that> book, <laughs> mommy's going to go cry in the shower. Just go play. What are you doing in there? Nothing. Nothing. I'm planning dinner. I'm planning dinner. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you know me uh yeah so it it's basically about choices and not excuses and the more i thought about it so the the huge aha in my life was um i've, I've been a speaker for almost almost two decades i guess now wow look at me and i've been doing keynotes and and humor conferences and i love to do improv workshops mm. so invite me but one of the things that was a struggle and it just it was like wearing shoes on the wrong feet it just I kept going for it but it didn't fit right and my husband said to me one day you are trying to teach and I said yeah when you give a keynote you have to give one two three or a great analogy or a breakdown of something and he said that's not who you are and he, he meant it in the best way <clears throat> as much as that could sound like a put down he said you're a storyteller your stories have lessons Mm -hmm. Your stories are, are to be shared. And he said, if you put away the teacher feeling and, and pretend more like what you get out of reading an Irma Bombeck book, mm -hmm. um, that's who you are. And when he said that, geez, I, I swear it felt like I took off a backpack that I'd been carrying for way too many years that was just full of rocks that I didn't need. And I took the backpack off 
And I was just, it was just an elation of, I'm going to share my stories. Mm -hmm. And then came the struggle of, what order? How do I do this? And and I also should say, I don't have great memory recall. And that was also part of childhood survival is when you block out bad, you also block out some of the good. Mm -hmm. And so I I didn't feel worthy. Okay, so why would people want to hear my story? Why? That's crap. What, what am I going to remember and how am I going to tell it? Uh, I don't know, all this pressure. And I finally uh, sat down to start writing and a friend had introduced me to an editor who was amazing. And she would say, you know, let's check in on Thursday. Give me 10 pages by Thursday. How does that sound? And plus I was paying for it. Great motivation. <laughs> great is, motivation. That is great motivation. Yeah. And so I, I forgave myself and I gave myself permission, which is two things I usually talk about. But here I was having to say it to myself. And my permission was, you don't have to tell it in order. You don't have to tell everything. And people do want to hear your stories, actually. Uh-huh. Because I would be writing in, a, in my favorite coffee shop, because sometimes, and I'm sure you're this way too, sometimes we need all the hustle bustle around us just to feel different. And I don't always write alone in my office. So I was at my favorite coffee shop and I had gotten to know Boyce the mailman. And Boyce would come by and, and he always said that our shows, in our shows, he loved them and that he compared me to Carol Burnett, which is my favorite compliment ever. And I do get that from time to time and that's my favorite. And that's when I real, and he said, are you, are you really writing a book? And I said, I've been trying. And he goes, well, I want to read it. And I'll tell you, his face was in my mind more than once when I was writing it and doubting myself. Uh-huh. So I would doubt myself. Everybody should have a voice. Everybody should have voice the mailman saying, I want to read your book. <laughs> and the day that I got to hand him one at my book signing last spring, we both cried, actually. I had stepped on his foot, but I cried from emotion. <laughs> he cried. And he was like, oh, I've got to deliver all these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he came to my book signing and that was a huge thrill. That's pretty awesome. You know, something you said there that kind of made me think is that a lot of times what we think is the point of a story isn't always the point that somebody's going to take that in the, because we all come from different places. We all have different experiences and that in sharing your story, what you might think is the point of it might be something completely different from somebody that's in the audience. Some of the audience might be, it might resonate with them completely different. And they're just like, oh, you know what? I, I've, you know, I've been there before. I understand that. You know, yeah, I, you know, and it, it might, it might give them a completely different thought process. So just in the fact of you sharing your soul, um, it could be quite cathartic and, and helpful for people in, in, in their journey. It is funny because when you tell a story, you assume your audience is one way. And I was speaking to a group at our small town library. I was really thrilled because I got a, a bigger group than a nationally known artist or uh, author. So mm-hmm. I, that was my bragging rights. Plus they had free coffee for everybody. <laughs> and I had over 30 people there and they were all older. And I knew that what they'd want to hear about was um, my my raising my boys after I, how I was raised, you know, and how I broke that cycle and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. No, they wanted to hear about my pranks. And by day, I should say, I work with police officers. They wanted to hear my pranks with the cops. I mess with the cops all the time. And 
and they, that's what they wanted to hear about. They did not want to hear as much about my relationship with my mother and how I was a different kind of mother. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't know how that works. And you might have an audience that, that definitely resonates with abuse and how to break the cycle and how did I come from it and what do I do now to help it or anything like that. And you mm. just don't know. It's, that's the best part is to go in knowing that you don't know. <laughs> don't think you know you're not your audience at all. Exactly. You know, what I love about what you just shared is that, um, yeah, yeah, obviously, in the stories you tell in your book, is going to help people as they go about it. You, you're a humor applicator at, in your everyday life. Like you said, you know, in doing you know, pranks with, you know, your, the people you work with, with, you know, cops, with police officers, and that their lives – yeah, that's a that is a super stressful job day in and day out. And I will tell you, having worked in you know the police field for a while uh, when I was in the Navy, it, they, we it's a pretty warped world as far as sense of humor goes. And so I imagine that the pranks that you could get away with are probably a little more audacious than you know, <laughs> your, your normal HR department would. Um, <laughs> would say, hey, yeah, you can do this. Yes, right. It's true. Well, as you know, since you you were also, you said you were in an officer for a while or in? Yeah, I was in charge. I had a, 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 when I was in the Navy, I was a, a director of security. So I had three uh, police uh, precincts and um, uh, 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 yeah, it, that I was in charge of a bunch of uh, DOD police officers. Uh, different Different group of people completely. Well, you're a good guy, and I thank you for your service. I seriously do, and I, I thank you for, for all the background work that you know and how you... Well, honestly, I have no other skills. There's really, there's nothing else. I mean, that's why I was in the Navy, because I really had no other, I had no place else to go, so, um, but you're Can't welcome. take a compliment, huh, Chip? <laughs> oh, you and my hubby get along well. I can't. That's why I'm a speaker now. You know, I, ah. I, I'm, not, I'm not good at math. I can't build anything, but I, I can put sentences together, so there you go. <laughs> Um. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, knowing that world, as you said, you do. When you cross the threshold and you're in the back office area, anything goes and anything is is able to be said. But you come out where the public is going to be at at my desk area and there's a different world. So it's it's quite Narnia over there. And I love it. I bet I worked in an office at a hospital for 16 years previous to this job. And I that was not my fit. I was pretending every day. But now my work really matters. I, I keep all the records in order and I'm the greeter. I dispatch. I mean, I found my niche for my day job. I really appreciate my work and I love picking on the guys and they, they take it well. And my husband said, one day you're going to get punched or worse. And I said, but what a way to go. What a great story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a great story. Make sure you tell this in my eulogy. Just that's you know, the however thing. I go, that's how I want it to be. So, I mean, look at it that. What's one of your favorite things in your, in your current work life that is like your, this is like my favorite prank I've ever had, I've ever done? I kind of got all excited that you're asking me that. And I know you can't see me, but I shook a little bit. I was so excited <laughs> that you wanted to know. This is, this is, my, this is my passion, my joy. Well, one of my favorites is, and this is so simple, and I, I recommend you do this at your office if you don't have a <laughs> chance of being fired, bubble wrap. I get bubble wrap for gifts. <clears throat> People give me their bubble wrap because they love me. And I put it under the rugs. At our office, we have rugs, which normally you wouldn't have because that's a hazard, but we have them. And you put bubble wrap under the rugs, 
And when cops walk by with, and I generally don't call them cops, it's funny I'm saying it now, when the officers walk by in their boots and they go over a rug, it's a delightful popping sound. <laughs> and then they give me this dirty look because they don't get scared. They just look at me uh, annoyed and keep on with their day. And mm -hmm. they know I love them then. But there's the days that I forget that I've done that and nobody has walked by for a while. And then I do it and scare the crap out of myself. I have done that before. <laughs> I'm going to hide my own Easter eggs this coming spring. But. That's pretty funny. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Okay, here's a better one. This one you're going to like. You take those poppets, you know, those little white papered things that you throw on the ground and they explode. Yeah. And if you tape those into the door hinge of an open door, when they go to shut it, it has this delightful sound. I recommend six to eight poppets. So that's about two per hinge, depending on your door. And when you shut the door, it goes pow. And it's just really delightful. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to ask how many weapons have been drawn, you know, in response to that, because I can imagine they would be a little bit jittery. Um, just saying. I have only been tased once. <laughs> Just coming off, just coming off like a, a bad call, you know, where somebody, they, they come in and they're like all stressed out and they yeah. shut the door. And it's like, pop, pop, pop. They're like, what the heck? Yeah, what the yeah heck? I, I actually was tased once because I was on the reserves for a while. I, I really like to learn about it because I'm so around it. I want to be part of it. And I, I was tased by choice. Um, but I've never had a, a service weapon drawn on me. I have gone shooting with the police. I love to go shoot. But no, they are way cooler than that. I swear. All, the only reaction I ever get is the annoyed look over the shoulder. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just a fruit fly of fun. You know? kind of used to, yeah. yeah, it's like, uh, I, and I appreciate the fact that you went out there in the field to do some of the things that they do. I mean, I did the same thing. I went out and uh, got pepper sprayed by choice. Oh, so that, they say that's worse than tasing because it um, doesn't go away. It does. It does not go away. And um, they gave me extra because I was the boss, so they made sure. Oh. That I, I had I had plenty to go around, and uh, oh. yeah. And the shower kind of revives it. I heard. Um. It it was very. It was pleasant. It was awesome. And oh. um. Yeah, I still remember it to this day. And I matter of fact, I was just in. Where was I? Home Depot or something? And oh, it was. It was Home Depot, and they had like you know you could get pepper spray for your key ring, and I'm like I oh. would. I would not get this ever. I would not. Yeah. Even if I hated the person that was charging me, I, I, I would feel bad spraying them because I know how much it sucks. So. Oh, I Andy. did it a little bit. I got the light version um, to be trained in it because I have it at my desk. Cause I, I do have an actual dangerous job because you're the, the face of anybody can walk in. Um, and if they're ticked off, I'm the first one. So I do have pepper spray and I just had to breathe it in through a baggie just to, um, my boss said, if you want to go full out, we'll do that. But here, I want you to go out here. We went out and we practiced shooting it outside. And I did the baggy thing and it felt like glass in my throat. It felt like what a asbestos sandwich must be like. And nice. But yeah, one day one of the officers noticed that the room had that feeling to it he's like did that guy that just left did he have pepper spray on him or something what did he do and we couldn't figure it out he had bumped his duty belt something started leaking and so we both got pepper sprayed and we're sitting in my office gagging and stuff for the few minutes it took to figure out what happened and we had to clear for a while 
Nice. Kind of interesting at work. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Now you have so many great stories in your book. Is there one that is just like your absolute favorite? That it's like, ah, oh, I'm so because I, I I like it. What I like about your book is that for me, um, it's all. I can sit down for, you know, a little bit, read some, get some stuff from it and then, you know, put it down and pick it back up later because I, I have a short attention span. So it's the perfect book Same. for me. Same. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean. I'm a hummingbird. And the so is there one It's in there like, I'm so glad I got this down on paper. I, I do enjoy my story uh, called Yearly Schmearly and that's about my pap smear and <laughs> It's how I tried to prank my doctor by decorating down there and how that kind of backfired on me. I, that is one of my favorite stories. And well, when you I, can share a little bit more about that. That's fine. Sure. I, I, it's being that I had a male doctor at that time, it makes us nervous. I think we're all nervous when we go to the doctor and we have to be vulnerable. I, I've, gone, I've gone with my wife to the to OBGYN. I wouldn't want to do that ever. So it was scary for me. It, it is. It's uncomfortable. You start sweating in weird places and you I felt- was sweating. I was sweating in weird places. Yeah, it's absolutely. Because you love her. You're a good man. <laughs> I sweat for you, honey. When you scoot down, I'm the one sweating over here. <laughs> absolutely. So, I'm sorry. I interrupted. But that's always been my goal is for the doctor to say, uh, could you just back it up a little bit? That's a little bit aggressive, but I've never reached that goal. They always say, uh, the women will understand. They always say, scoot down, scoot down. So, so I used, um, I had temporary tattoos, uh, an assortment of them as, as we all do. And I called up a friend and I said, here's my idea. It's a male doctor. I always hate the awkward conversation. I'm going to decorate down there. And I said, here's my choices. I've got this flower. I've got a sun, sunshine sun, and I've got this dinosaur. And she goes, well, you don't want a flower. They might think it's a scratch and sniff. And you don't want the sunshine because it's too close to the moon. Why don't you take the dinosaur? All right. You know, great friends give you ideas. And I put this thing on before the appointment, but I was in such a hurry that I didn't realize until the last second that the head of the dinosaur did not transfer onto my upper thigh. So I now had a headless Barney down in the hoo-hoo zone and I still had to get to my appointment. So... He didn't even notice it as the short version. And I had to, then I asked, do you, do you not notice anything down there? I said with my legs apart, my little. Does everything, look, nor Does everything look normal, doctor? Hello. <laughs> Tap him on the head. You notice anything? I decorated for you. But there was an actual, there was the female nurse in there because you had to. So that they had to make sure that you didn't think it was a date. So they always had the female nurse in there with the male doctor. And then, of course, they offer that, oh, Heidi's in the hall. She's our intern. Can she come in too? Yeah, bring in Heidi. Hey, is there a janitor emptying garbage? Bring him in too. Frank, you got to see this. <laughs> you gotta, come on, everybody. Check this, <laughs> check this out. You got to <laughs> see this dinosaur. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. Uh, so I told my female doctor a year later after this male, I guess I wore him out. Um, he retired and I had a female doctor and I was sharing the story with her and she's like, she looked at me disappointed and said, you've never decorated for me. I'm like, Oh doc, really? You have feelings. <laughs> That's so, so funny. She's like, I'm going to a conference right now. Can I, can I tell the conference about this story? And I'm like, well, yeah, I don't care. And I said, well, what conference is it? And she goes, Oh, herpes. <laughs> You go have fun at that. That's awesome. 
That's good stuff right there. Um, you should have said, well, I'd rather you just buy a book for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have the book then. <laughs> the story's it. The story's in there. Get everybody mm-hmm. a book. Exactly. Oh, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, but um, right, it's written in short snippets, like I said, and you're right. It, it's you don't have to. There's no big ending or big middle part. You know, it's just all tiny snippets. Well, I mean, for me, I mean, those are the I, those are the kind of books I like because I read in short bursts. Sometimes I just need something to, you know, chaw in for the day. And so that's what I really liked about when I was going through your book is that I can, you know, put it down, put it, pick it back up. You know, it just was really, really, um, for me, um, a good a good consumption book for me. You know, nice. my uh, my attention span is usually pretty short. So mm-hmm. I, same here. Yeah. So, but so I appreciated that about it. Now, if after today, people want to connect with Lisa David Olson, where do you want them to go? Where can they go to connect with you? Where can they get Laughs on Rye? Please go to Amazon. It is available on Amazon.com. And I also sell a CD of 22 phone calls that I have that are fun on the phone. And it's telemarketer calls where I don't let the telemarketer get to their point. And that was years in the making with an old machine. So I do sell that as well if you want. If you, if you can still play the CD kids, that's, that's the round disc, you know, thing that some people like to have that in a car. So. Oh, that is so funny that, um, yeah. Cause like most computers don't even have CD things on them anymore. It's so I sad. know. And I don't know if it's in the car or what. Yeah. My mom was just so upset because she bought a new car. <laughs> and so, but she didn't realize till after she bought it that it didn't have a CD player. Oh she, no. She's like, I have all these audiobooks I was going to listen to. She's like, I'm like, well, you're going to get on you know, like Audible. She goes, I don't know what that is. I'm like, okay, well, you have other kids that live closer to you. <laughs> <laughs> Just call me, mom. I'll read to you. I'll read to you as you drive. I'll, you know, I don't think so. I don't, yeah, I couldn't do that. So, well, I really appreciate spending a little time with you today. It's really fun, you know, to get to know you a little bit, you know, better. Um, also fun to talk about the book a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, people go out there and just, you know, buy a slew of them. I hope so. But you know, also just find me on Facebook. I'd love to have some chats on Facebook and join me. Cause like I say, it's always, always on the up, always positive. And I wanted to say to you quickly that your book, get past the crap is very enjoyable. And I love option three. <laughs> and I think everybody should buy your book, get past the crap because option three is like, very wise. It's tackling your issues, making a choice to work on the issue at hand. Um, you say it more eloquently about a sandwich, but uh, I, your book is well, great. And that one too, it, it's one you can pick up and just have around. You, you don't want to be into a really super serious book, but yet you want to feel positivity and a direction. And, and your story is great. I'm really glad you survived the reason you wrote the book. <laughs> Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that plug. We have a little, we got some, we got some little mutual love going on. You know it. Someone's reading Lord Kumbaya. Oh, um, getting past the crap, <laughs> Kumbaya. Laughs on rhyme. But anyway, <laughs> thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thank you, Mr. Lutz. I appreciate you very much. I'm glad we're connected. <laughs>